Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. And so do I feel as a white person. Uh, we have survived as... Uh, pure whites for many years and I think that we also have the right to keep on surviving as whites for the next two, three, four hundred years. So I don't see why we we should be, um, um, we should disappear because that's what's going to happen. The, the white population in South Africa will totally disappear if um, this new compensation of um, of the water comes through. You know, we will just disappear. We will all become um, chocolate color. Now, in South Africa, we're not fighting the whites. We're fighting the evil system. We're fighting injustice. Come on! Okay, okay, okay. This is Snaz Dictator. Come on! Yeah, we're about to put Johannesburg on the map. Come on! Sir, listen to your friend here. He knows what he's talking about. I don't think you really want to go to South Africa. Why not? Because you're black. Does he draw for you? Yes. You ruin your car. These kaffirs can't get motors through their head. No. You must take hills in lower gear, boy. But this car, she is automatic. She has no gears at all. I mean you put the automatic into L. That's low. Can you read? I can read L. You'll ruin it. No, I won't. No, I won't, sir. Oh, Masako. Should you be whipped with a jambok? I expect so, sir. Well, you shan't be. So for God's sake, stop sweating. Two brutal, insensitive officers from the Security Bureau beat a lovely Bantu patriarch. No, thank you very much. You'd be an overnight martyr. I've got enough of them as it is. Please think, Omsaifo. I... I cannot, sir. You cannot think? You, the headman, the wise, bearded, white-haired elder of the village, and you can't think? My godfather. You're too old to hunt. You're too old to work in the fields. You're too old to father children. God, if you can't think... What in heaven's name are you good for? I wish all these bleeding-heart liberals could see this. How futile it is trying to get you people to be responsible. Him and you is trying to move the aliens for humanitarian reasons but the real focus just as it has been right from the beginning is weapons mnu is the second largest weapons manufacturer in the world you know we assume that we'd be able to pick up the alien laser gun and just be able to shoot but it just it didn't work like that because as we discovered their technology is actually engineered in a biological manner and interacts exclusively with their dna so it just doesn't work with humans and it's as simple as that the recent tragedy in South Africa has drawn attention to the country's housing crisis. 
70 people died in the incident last month in Johannesburg when a fire gutted what's known as a hijacked building. Many of the country's poor live in such rundown properties, which are taken over and controlled by armed gangs. DW correspondent Diane Hawker gained rare access to some of these hijacked buildings in Johannesburg and sent us this report. And then just be careful, man. Here, this is the shed. That's the shed. This used to be a hospital. Now it's squatted. City officials are inspecting it as part of a drive to crack down on illegal landlords. Dozens of people, including families, live here, unable to find cheap accommodation elsewhere in the inner city. It's dark, damp, and it stinks. It's clear that refuse has not been collected for a long time. The building is home to many children, and just two months ago, two died in a fire. Of course I'm black. That's why I want to go to South Africa to join up with my oppressed brothers, to take up the struggle against the tyranny of the racist, fascist, white minority regime. Fascist white regime. One man, one vote. One man, one vote. Free South Africa, you dumb son of a bitch. You dumb son of a bitch. The cows. Gusty Renegade in for another broadcast very early. Uh, today's date, Monday. October 2, 2023. So I have been told. I hope, hope, hope we will be back to our normal broadcast time for lots of all of our upcoming programs over the month of October. Book Club, uh, Neutralizing Workplace Racism, Compensatory Call-In, everything. We've had lots of programs over the past month certainly the summertime but particularly the last month or so very early outside of when we uh our normal broadcast time i'm no fan of that we even went earlier today like oof, still 11 a.m no i'm no morning person the labor of counter racism at any rate what is underlying all of this when we have these early programs the system of racism white supremacy is a global problem it is very important to analyze, study, think about racism, white supremacy. This is all over the planet, not isolated to one little spot here where it's a little bit difficult for the black people. Uh, our context for today's broadcast uh, in the midst of our, I guess, wrapping up the summer of 2023, uh, we had a number of interrelated programs even trying to go back and, and pick out how this thread started um, so many different guests even whack even the report we're talking about today for the most part mentions a number of our previous guests from the summer but specifically uh, we had Dr. Nikki Falkoff as a guest on the program now we were talking about South Africa but she visited us from Mexico so Anyway, she was with us just a few days back. Uh, we were talking about uh, racism in South Africa, uh, what it's like her being a white woman, and sexual abuse of black people, and we even got to sexual abuse of black males. Uh, now, she was on the program. Within a few days, we had Dr. Brian Pitts as a guest on the broadcast. He joined us to talk about his book chapter on I don't even know how do you how do, uh, 
taking exploit sexual exactly what I titled it sexual abuse of black males in Brazil Dr. Pitts gay white man talks very explicitly and I don't mean in a randy sense but I mean just very honest very straightforward uh, about enjoy we asked him about it directly he said hey that was a part of the appeal enjoyment for me as a gay white man to be able to go to Brazil and they wow a white guy and to be able to take advantage and because he said specifically dark complexion black dudes in Brazil he talked about that wrote that whole report and talked very honestly ethnopornography said is that a synonym for racist yeah 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 so that's Brazil with South Africa Brazil back to South Africa and even the connection between those two, I was going to say continents, but I'd have to, South America, there we go, South, uh, South America, Africa, connection between those two continents and the mistreatment of black people in those two regions. Now, Dr. Falkoff told us specifically, we were bringing all this up a couple of days back, she said, hey, you should check out the uh, report, Contestings contesting the meanings of sexual violence in the South African post-colony. Where are the male victims? Feel like we've heard that over and over. Just change the spot on the map or the globe. Same problem uh, where black males in particular as victims of sexual abuse. Like, what? That doesn't even make sense. What are you talking about? What? Huh? What? Dr. Tommy J. Curry author of the man not race class genre and the dilemmas of black manhood he even talked about specifically one he talked about that problem sexual abuse of black male victims of racism boys and children but then also he said when you bring this up frequently there's so much resistance people tell you it's not even possible for a black male to be a victim of race or rape excuse me not possible for him to be a victim of rape He's the perpetual, the essence of rape, the black male. He said you bump into this all the time from white people and non-white people. Big problem apparently around the world. So excited to chat about this report, a global context of racism. In addition to writing the report that we're going to talk about, or chapter I'll say, that we're going to talk about today, our guest... Uh, she resides in South Africa, thus we are on way earlier than normal. Uh, she teaches at, I think it's Stellenbach. She can let me know if I got it correct. Stellenbach University. Uh, she has taught at the University of Johannesburg since 1997 before moving to Stellenbach in 2010. Her main research interests include a wide range of themes within feminist philosophy, especially in the interface between African and European traditions. She's interested in sexual violence, critical theory, political philosophy, hermeneutics, philosophy, and literature. Thankful for having us. It is a nine hour time difference between us. So while I'm here grousing and complaining about how early it is Monday morning, she's pretty much finished up her Monday and is hanging out with us Monday evening. Uh, joining us live, our guest, Dr. Louise Dutrois. Uh, can make sure, number one, can you say your last name for me? See if, how close I got. 
Hi guys. <laughs> yeah, so it used to be the toit because it it has that French connection, but here in South Africa we made it the toy. The toy, the toy. Am I saying it correctly yes. for South Africa? Yes, yes, perfect. <laughs> the toy. Okay, but it is the toit, the French connection. That is would be how you say it. Yeah, originally, like uh, many many generations ago, it was the toit. Okay, that's what I see there. That's what I didn't even take French. Should have. Uh, thank you much for uh, hanging out with us for you Monday evening. Uh, anything you would like to share briefly with our listeners about the work that you do in South Africa? Um, okay, so I've been interested in sexual violence for a long time and um, started on this work um, trying to look philosophically at sexual violence, which is not done very often. People look at it from the perspective of psychology or criminology or something like that. And I thought, well, bring the tools of philosophy to the phenomenon of sexual violence and let's see what comes out of that. And this started already in um, the previous century when I was just starting out with my research. And then I wrote a book that I called A Philosophical Investigation of Rape. Um, that was published and then um, became more and more involved in all kinds of interdisciplinary discussions, for instance, the International Criminal Court and how that prosecutes sexual violence in conflict um, areas. Um, and also, of course, the colonial legacy of how we think about rape. That has become a big issue for me more recently. Quite a bit of that comes through in the report we will be chatting about today. Um, I guess for one, for listeners, uh, at least stateside or wherever else they are in the world, might be their uh, first time hearing uh, from you. Uh, are you classified as a white woman? Yeah, guess I am. Yeah. Gotcha. Uh, for this broadcast, uh, I always start off with our definition. Uh, I use the term racism and the term white supremacy as synonyms. I use the same definition for both terms. The definition I use is as follows. A global system of people who classify themselves as white and are dedicated to abusing and or subjugating everyone in the known universe whom they classify as not white. Do you think such a system exists? Do you think that definition is accurate? I think that works for me, Gus, because I think that race, race is a product of um, this notion of whiteness. It is, a, it is a function of that, which is a very weird concept, as you know, this, this identity, this notion of, of whiteness. And, um, yeah, it's basically an economic system. It's an emo a system of effects or feelings. It's a sexual system. Um, a system of desire, a system of um, investment, the creation of wealth and the hoarding of wealth. So I see it also as a global system, and I agree with, with your definitions. Okay. Oh, I guess it would be singular. I only had the one definite, or I guess if the, the two terms, two terms, racism and yeah, yeah. supremacy. The, the way you bring them together, yeah. Gotcha. Awesome, awesome. Uh, let's see. Um Hmm. 
I think for at least for our conversation, I do want to get back to the population of South Africa just for context for listeners. I know we have a lot of folks. I've never myself been to Africa, period, much less South Africa. And I'm sure that's the case for many listeners, unfortunately, because I would love to you know, do some traveling there. Um, but we're talking about a population. Make sure my stats are correct. I looked online before we got started and it looks like the population is approximately 60 million uh, and then 80 percent are black people and by the time you put in the so-called coloreds and Asian and all the other folks it's way way over 80% looks like it's even over 90% non-white people a good solid 80 plus black people (laughs) there are it looks like it might not even be 8% of the population there classified as white which would be not even 6 million people in this part of the world classified as white does this sound about accurate to you? Yeah, that's how I have it. I have it that uh, the white race in the country is now around 7%. Um, and of course, there's also a, a big um, out outflow again um, with the latest um, crises in the country. So people who are mobile are also, I would say, leaving the country um, so that yeah, your numbers are accurate, and and the number might even be dwindling of um, self-identified whites who leave the country. But it's not only whites; it's people who are mobile and upper class, and so on. So um, of course, the demographic is also shifting. But um, you you're in you're spot on. Hmm. Okay, with the that I love learning different parts of the world with the outflow. Um, you said people, not just white people, but certainly individuals classified as white who are wealthier, mobile, have the means and what have you. Uh, what Are they giving a reason as to why they are leaving South Africa? Like, are they leaving the continent in total or is it that just they're going to some different other part of Africa? My impression is they go to Australia <laughs> and to New Zealand and to Canada and to the UK. And the reason is the crumbling of infrastructure, the collapse of the government, really. So that's what you hear from all the uh, groups that um, the government has lost control of the country. Um, yeah, so that's also in the mix. Wow. And one of the one of one of the big ways in which we see that is the power cuts. So we now have sometimes up to twelve hours. 24 that we don't have power so that's quite concrete you know that's not just perceptions that that comes home Dang. when when was the last time that you had one of these um, power cuts that you recall well this year we haven't had a day without them what yes so you had one today yes we have power cuts every single day um, power outages, or what would you call them? Yeah. Jeez, that is crazy. And then they've got the water because we talked about that uh, on this broadcast earlier this year. We had uh, Professor uh, Alyssa Savali, uh, although she was in Sweden. Uh, she went to South Africa. I like traveling too. She went to South Africa and she talked to a lot of people classified as white, and they were very afraid. She said that 
black people were going to steal their water. I guess wa- that's, I guess, a part of infrastructure uh, and having access to water and having to do all this saving and everything. And she was saying that it was lots of white people who this is a legitimate concern. And then I even had to pause, like, wait a minute. How would you steal How water? Would you steal like, are you talking water? stealing a cup? Are we talking stealing enough to, you know, share with the whole yeah. town of black? Like, do you have a tanker truck? Like, it seems kind of difficult, cumbersome to steal, particularly if we're talking a large amount. It seems like that would be a really challenging thing to do. But she said, yeah, you have this is a big concern. Is this is this true? I think she put it very badly. I don't okay. think, you know, I can imagine you can't imagine what that looks like. But what is happening and this is affecting black poor people much more than white people, um, even poor white people. But there are municipalities and rural places and even now more and more of the big cities that have sporadic uh, water, um, what's the word, um, access to water, water, running water in their pipes, literally. Um, and that is because of um, lack of maintenance of infrastructure. So it's, it is a big problem and it's, um, it's not, you know, in the first place, I don't think it's white fearing theft of things, but that there's a massive failure um, on local government level to provide basic services, and that includes power as well as water. Hmm. Okay, okay. But you say she put that badly in terms of white people uh, articulating some sort of fear that the black people are going to come and take their water? Yeah, in that sense, it's it's. I would say it's um, it's all citizens who are rightly concerned that basic um, services are not delivered by local governments. Okay. Uh, let's see. Water issue is big around the world, particularly for non-white people. Uh, before we get to the report, we had Nikki. Dr. Nikki Falkoff with us a few days back. Um, she said that, do you know her? Are you familiar with her scholarship? Yes. Oh, okay. Right yes, on. I am. Yeah, yeah. Right on. Uh, she said that she had a nanny when she was growing up, black female who came to a maid, I think she didn't use the term man, she said maid, who came to clean the house and that sort of thing. And she said that she brought her, Joyce and Sele, that was her name, she brought her uh, children, female children, importantly, she brought them with her and they went to school. So they got better education and blah, blah, blah. She talked about how this was a formative part of her childhood. Did you have uh, a nanny growing up? <laughs> no, we didn't have a nanny. My mother stayed at home mm-hmm. and she was the nanny. <laughs> so we didn't have that experience. Okay. Did you grow up in South Africa? Yes, I did. Okay. Yes. Is that common? White people having a black maid or what have you? Grown nanny, I guess you call it. Yes, very, very common. Nannies and also housekeepers um, would be typically live in um, because they would typically their own families would be um, far, far away, far removed, and so very often they would live in in the white suburbs, which is another, you know, such an ironic part of our history because white people wanted to live far away from black people. They had wanted to have the separate suburbs and so on, but they still relied so much in their intimate spaces on black labor. Um, which is just one of those mm-hmm, yeah, one of those um, terrible things. You know, you want the woman for her labor, even for her care and her intimate work, but you don't want to be confronted with her as a whole person, I would say. And so 
her life and her family have to be out of sight, out of mind. So that's a, that's one of the big um, violent legacies of this country. Whole world, lots of that here in the uh, states uh, as well, uh, Brazil as well. Whole world. Uh, Dr. Falkov, uh, she also said that while she was growing up in South Africa, she went to. I don't know if she had a specific term for this, but she said it was some sort of uh, like camp thing uh, where children had had to go, white children. uh, And it was as if there's going to be some takeover. The Negroes will run wild and we white people, we might have to camp out in the woods or do something to survive uh, in case they run wild and try to kill all the white people in South Africa. And she said that this was kind of a widespread thing. She went, she said some of the camps were really aggressive and you know getting guns i guess and might maybe preparing for survival and all the rest of it others it was more relaxed i guess camping uh did you have to do anything any of these survival camps growing up no i wouldn't say it was um, compulsory but the kind of rhetoric we heard a lot i was in high school secondary school in the 1980s and that was the time when the civil war what's really a civil war um was in full swing and the way that the conflict was packaged for white kids was to tell us that it's a communist onslaught, which in part, of course, it was with the Russians and the Cubans in Angola and so on. But it was also, of course, in the, and in the first place, it was South Africans who were um, revolting against apartheid. But that's not how it was packaged for us. So there was in my childhood and young adulthood a, a lot of emphasis um, on defending ourselves, even a kind of military um, readiness. So, so I know what she talks about. Yeah, yeah. I had not. We've had a number of guests on the program from South Africa. I had not heard that one before. So now I have to ask everybody, like, wow, did you all have this camp thing? Like. <laughs> crazy Mm -hmm. love the learning okay now Mm -hmm. dr falcoff this is my push off to your report specifically that she was the one that told us about to begin with um she also said that her nanny made that's what she said joyce and sale she did bring her girls children to stay with her as she stated uh with the white people that she had to work for and they got better education because they, I think she even said that they went Mm -hmm. to school with her, Joyce's uh, daughters. They went to school Mm -hmm. with her. So they got better education. And now some decades later, they're doing pretty well. Uh, Well, relatively speaking as well as, you know, she did have sons missing Salem. And she said that her sons, they were not allowed to come to the house and hang out and (laughs) go to school and get better education. She said, the sons are struggling barely hanging on trying to survive she said this was a widespread pattern with regards to access to education yes they're both still victims of racism but you cannot bring those potential rapists into this house and let them hang out and go to school to get an education that do you it is this sort of pattern is this familiar to you at all yeah, it makes sense. It's you know again, I, I I didn't grow up in a community where this was this was widespread practice, but I can um, relate to that. And I think um, the the gendering of the colonial situation is very important. If you look at it um, from further away, if you look at it on a large scale, um, you bring the black woman 
in for domestic labor, but you keep the black man outside the gate, outside, you know, far removed from the intimacy of the house. I'm not, I sometimes get the impression it was a slightly different in uh, Zimbabwe because sometimes you hear about men who worked inside the house. But in my experience, um, there was always that fear that the black male is basically a threat to the white domestic space. So you keep the black stranger, the black worker, the black man, you keep further away from because it's it's all about white male sexual control. Um, and you, you know about the black peril myth or the black peril scare, that's, that's what it was called, um, the fear that, that black men would infiltrate the white houses, have sexual relations with the white women, and overthrow the white man. Um, that was a, a widespread thing. And part of the black peril fear was that white women would actually prefer black men. And so women who were prostitutes, for instance, white women who were not racially discriminatory were seen as, as very much part of that problem and that fear. So, so it also justified the control of white women's sexuality, the way that the whole thing was racialized in the colony. Kaffir lover. That's a... Uh... That's with that you're a white prostitute and you're having sexual intercourse with Robert Sabukwe and the like. Kafir lover. Is that, do they say that? I, again, I can, I can, I can see that someone can say that. Yeah. But it's not a, a word we would use. Um, oh, okay. Then or now. No, okay. It's too, it's too harsh. It's too much. <laughs> it's too, wait a minute now. Wait a minute. They now cut. Now this came up with Dr. Falkov. She had the term, uh, Kaffir in the title of her report and I read like I would I'm gonna do for you I already read it uh, like I do for everybody I read the report she said oh my god I can't believe you said that and I said what what did I say what did I say so we don't say Kaffir anymore and I said now that is are you serious so nobody in that part of the world says Kaffir anymore says Kaffir anymore not that I hear no it's no <laughs> honestly I don't hear people say that I'm I'm stunned I, I'm because nine hour time difference. I mean, it's a big difference or gap between us distance. Um, Negra is said all the time by white people and non-white people in the U.S. And I mean, all way more often than you have the power cuts way more frequently. Um, <laughs> it's it's difficult for me to compute how that would be where Negra is said all the time here going into 2025 and then in South that well in the population. I don't know. Maybe, well, maybe, I don't know. What do you, what do you think that difference is? If that is true, that nobody really says coffer in South Africa. And these, these terms are equivalent essentially. Yes. I suppose so. Um, so let's, let's assume I'm not right. Maybe I don't, don't, um, mingle with the right people, you know, it might be pockets of, uh, maybe pockets of people, communities, but um, maybe it has a lot to do with the way that racism is being called out these days on social media and people are really shamed for that. Um, I don't know if that happens in the US, but I think people here see that um, to be labeled a racist can have very bad consequences for you in your career, in your social standing in your reputation and maybe that's one of the reasons why you see it much less or hear it much less 
I don't know. Uh, the social we have TikTok and Instagram and Twitter and I don't know, all the social media that you like uh, here in the states and. They do a lot of, you know, talking about white people doing racist things and all of that. Um, I don't know. I I would have to, I, I would at least want more details as to how this happened, if that is true, that particularly white people no longer say kafir in this part of the world. Wow. How did, uh, yeah, that would be one I would have to ponder on a tad. At any rate, um, the got there with the white prostitutes and control of sexuality make sure that these Negro rapists don't take over and even Dr. Welsing moment for sure um, the report contesting the meanings of sexual violence in South African post-colony where are the male victims which very much related to everything uh, we were just talking about in terms of the black peril and the black rapist and we gotta control what these Negroes are up to uh, what was your reasoning and this was published in 2020 This or chapter rather yes is it 2020 this chapter was this year, 2023. Wow, okay, new, new. Okay, okay. What mm. what was your purpose or what problem were you trying to solve with this chapter? Mm. So I've been um, reading up more about male victims and came under the impression that um, if we want to do proper work on sexual violence, then we cannot leave out the male victims. And we have to ask ourselves, why is it so hard to talk about them and to include them in our activism? And so I give two sort of lines, two historical lines for why I think in a place like South Africa in particular, it's very hard to bring that figure onto the stage to actually publicly acknowledge that it is a problem and that we need to include it in our activism. And the one part of the story is that um, it's been such an uphill battle for women to get this topic on the table um, and to get rape of women recognized um, that it became sort of almost a flagship for women's rights, women's human rights in the international criminal context, in the context of war and conflict, armed conflict, but um, also in other respects that feminists, activists fought very hard to get the attention on rape as a crime against uh, women in, in conflict and domestically. Um, and so, so they are reluctant to give up that space. You know, it's, it's some feminists see it as a kind of a zero-sum game that if we acknowledge that there are also male victims, we're going to lose some of the visibility for female victims. We're going to lose some of the money. So it's it's very much a, a sort of a territorial fight. Um, and then feminists think they can get away with just saying, well, it, happen it happens to women much more often. So let's rather focus on women. But in this chapter, I'm making the argument that it's for all kinds of reasons actually very important for all of us who try to change the, the reality of sexual violence to think about both sexes as victims of sexual violence and to very explicitly talk about male victims and bring bring that topic into our theorization into our attempt to understand what sexual violence is and what it tries to do um, so that's what I do in my chapter joining us live from South Africa Dr. Luis Dutort doing the South African pronunciation 
Uh, and I mean, it catches your attention from the very beginning. She has a, I mean, man, if you're going to put a quote at the top of a chapter or paper, put a quote. She right or she has the quote, an open anus in prison in South Africa is like a gold mine. Everybody wants a piece of it. Wow. Why was this? Let's start right here. So this is a quote from from a, a newspaper article that I came across. And this was said by someone who spent 10 years in a prison near Port Elizabeth. Um, and this is just, um, yeah, so, so what struck me about the, um, obviously the quote is, um, you know, <laughs> yeah, it's shocking and it is a little bit funny because it talks about the gold mine, um, which is such a prominent um um, notion in South Africa, the reason why South Africa is like it is in a sense. Um, but then also that, that idea of a gold rush and the greed that goes along with it. Um, but what was, what struck me really about the context in which this was said is that the only reason why it was considered newsworthy is because the, the informant was explaining that, um, the, the rectum of the of the young men would not only function sexually, but also to hide all kinds of things in prison, from cell phones to drugs. Um, but that really then shows you how that person is reduced to a body part and um, objectified and utilized like a thing. Um, so, so I thought this was this was a very powerful expression of the um, the kind of dehumanization that that comes with prison rape um, that we often, as I say in the article, we know it, but we also don't know it. Um, we recognize that there is probably a lot of prison rape going on and that it is almost normalized or naturalized. But we are no longer or we never were outraged by it um, and by the by the trauma, by the scale and the extent of the human rights violation that it is. It just doesn't feature in that way in our public discourse. Um, just rewinding to, to try to get as much detail as I can. When you started your response, and you were talking about the, uh, the in this response or the quote, rather, uh, he talked about the anus being compared to the gold and that kind of gets back to the history of South Africa and the context and everything in the gold mines. And you said that's why South Africa is the way it is today. What did you mean by that? I talked about the, the, the discovery of gold in South African interior, the way that um, the, the Anglo-Boer war was fought over gold on the Rand um so in what is now Gauteng, and the Gauteng also refers to the gold. It refers to gold, the word Gauteng. And um, and then, of course, the way that um, mining was absolutely the backbone of the colony and then later of the apartheid state. And um, that meant the systematic instrumentalization of black workers, black, black men's bodies um, in all kinds of ways. So this for me lies in the background to the kind of exploitation that we see in, in prison rape also. It's almost as if it's a kind of language of domination and exploitation 
that came along with the mining industry and that has now almost overtaken our society as a whole, a kind of um, stripping of the humanity of the other person. Did you see the documentary Miner Shot Down, Riha Desai, by chance? Yes. Yeah, I have. Wow. He was a guest on our program, Marakana, Layers of White Supremacy Racism. Uh, with the mining, Dr. Falkoff, uh, she was with, like I said, a couple of days. She told us about your work, thankfully. We were getting to some of this, although that was not the subject of what we're supposed to be talking about, but she does talk about this to a degree. She writes uh, her segment, White Failures. Many scholars who have written on apartheid treatment of male homosexuality have pointed out its social and political effects of policing whiteness evident in the state's single-minded concentration on white gay men. Both the 1967 Select Committee and the 1985 President's Council focused almost entirely on white men to the exclusion of gay women and gay men of color. According to Elder, the common practice of migrant black mine workers taking or becoming wives was excluded from the state legislation in part because homosexuality helped to contain the threat of unbridled black male sexuality within the hostile space significantly for my argument here Sinclair writes that white homosexuality directly challenged hegemonic Afrikaner masculinity in a way that black homosexuality did not the emphasis on white male homosexual activity rather than on, rather than on homosexual activity as a whole suggests that white homosexuality was a disciplinary as well as a moral issue, almost sounding like the white prostitutes. Hmm. They do have a small population. I said that they have such a small population of white people in South Africa. You cannot be messing around. It is all hands. <laughs> on, I mean, am I making sense? I mean, seven percent. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, yes. I did. Yes. Yeah. yeah. And what you what you demonstrate there very beautifully is how you cannot understand colonialism and apartheid without seeing how sexual it is. Um, I was recently, my attention was drawn to the fact that the first two pieces of legislation that the apartheid government brought in were had to do with sex, with sexual control. It's all about who you may love, who you may marry. Um, it's a, it was a sex-obsessed regime, and I think that is so typical of racism, you know, that there's a, this biological element there. Um, that you have to understand. And that's why part of my argument is also um, you cannot really understand the contents given to racist configurations of people if you don't understand the element of sexual um, de degeneracy that is implied in the racist figure. Do you understand what I'm saying? Does it make sense? You said the racist degeneracy that is implied. Let's make sure we can you break that down a little bit for us. So the, whenever you are racist, you imply that there's something inherently wrong with a person, the way that they are biologically constituted. There's something ontologically, something given with their body that is problematic. And um, 
I'm saying that that is a that often takes a, a form of sexual degeneracy. So mm. so the figure of the black rapist or the black woman who becomes, in Professor Kola's words, almost unrapeable because she's she's already such a sexualized creature. So what I'm saying is that race, the very categories of race, the very figures of race, are very often saturated with notions of sexual degeneracy, if that makes sense. Got it. I will use that phrasing from now on, the implied sexual <laughs> degeneracy. Because, yeah, I, and once you explained it, I'm glad you asked. And I said, yes, give us some more details, because I have seen that we just talked about that in Brazil. Same type of framework, same type of racist thinking, and many of those same tropes. here. We have talked about well into the 20th century here in the U.S. that forever it was impossible for a black female to be raped. We talked about they have whole books and libraries of scholarship uh, about this. And people have given their goofy, racist, sorry, racist, not goofy, theories uh, to explain this. And the oversexed black female implied sexual degeneracy. Absolutely. Absolutely. What do, what do you make of, and the, talking about this mining situation with the same thing you talked about with the prison situation, all white, under white domination, uh, that this taking wives and what have you, this was not a problem. The legislation, as you talked about, controlling white women's sexuality, even controlling white men's sexuality sometimes, but black male homosexuality, yeah, this is no threat to white power, white patriarchal power, especially. What do you make of that? Yeah, no, no, I can, I can see that argument. I think that is, that is correct. Um, but I'm also trying to say that things have changed, you know, in South Africa. And we now have a black government, black male government, uh, mostly. And um, some tropes and figures and things have changed. Um, so what we also see is a, um, I think, also a fear to now profile the, the black male victim of sexual violence because there's almost a knee-jerk reaction to defend the dignity of the black male subject and sovereignty um, because we had a power transfer. Um, so so, so <clears throat> we now have a black male government Power, public power is quite masculine, masculinized. And to now bring the figure of the, um, of the black male victim on the stage might threaten that image of the black, um, ruler, um, if that makes sense. So I think there's also another dynamic at stake now in South Africa around the black male victim of sexual violence. Certainly different from Back in the day, uh, P.W. Botha, uh, what's happening in the 80s and what have you. But is that is that true? I guess the same thing I asked about Kaffir, uh, is that still said? Is that true? Has there been a power transfer? Are white people still in charge in South Africa? White people don't have the political power at all. <laughs> so what we now have is um, whites with economic power still. But there was definitely a political hand um, trans transfer of power to into black hands. There's no doubt about that. Also, the civil service, the um, municipalities, local governments, um, very few white faces in government. 
Hmm. Hmm. I don't know. I, let's let's get the uh, putting this down on the basics level. So when there's a water scarce scarcity uh, and they have to do the conservation and all the rest of that, who are the people that generally have difficulties accessing water? Is it the white people or the non-white people? If you ask in general about access to water, running water, um, the, it's, it's the poor people. And that's by far the majority would be black. But it's becoming, it's spreading. <laughs> so it's becoming all of us now. You know, it used to be more worse in the rural areas. Um, now it's also in the metropolis, in the cities. Um, and... Um, yeah, it's a, it's a general crisis that people cannot access basic services. Hmm. It's also that, health and education. It's um, but it's also infrastructure. It's also transport. It's trains that are no longer running. So, um, yeah, I mean, it, and it's not just white people saying that. You can read all the black commentators saying the same thing that we had a state capture situation and. Uh, basically, a bleeding dry of state resources. Oh, I'm yes, ma'am. I'm very familiar uh, with those corrupt government and crumbling. I totally believe that one. I don't know if I believe the kafir is not in use anymore, but I do believe the <laughs> crumbling infrastructure and all of that. And that we just the fire. We just talked about all of that at the heritage uh, building. Like, yeah, that's no argument here. I believe that, um, but I do think white people are still in charge in South Africa. Um, and that, we even raised that Dr. Falcoff because she was kind of pushing back on that. And she said, man, you know, Gus, one of my students, they did a report on poor, and I'm putting that in quotes, poor white people in South Africa. And she said, you know what? Even the poor white people, they had black maids. <laughs> what? I said, yeah, yeah. My PhD student just, she's doing her project on that. I said, wow, that kind of sounds like white people are still in charge. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Anywho, uh, you write, this is uh, back to your report, page 154, your chapter rather. Instead of given the colonial preoccupation of construing whiteness, and preventing racial contamination, cowbell, the overriding purpose of paying attention to sexual violence was to forestall threats to white male heterosexual domination. What do you mean uh, construing whiteness? What does that mean specifically? <laughs> so I, I think it's uh, where you started almost with your definition um, of racism and white supremacy that it's it's uh, the problem starts with those people who consider themselves white um, so on my understanding um, historically whiteness was not um, a big consideration for at least some some decades or even centuries in the early history of South Africa, the way that race became formalized later on is is almost a later invention. So the Dutch uh, just had a, had a 
colony here, it was, um, they didn't really want to rule the place. They just wanted a place where they can, um, support their ships that go to the, to, to, to the east. Um, and so they were not really interested in governing South Africa. Um, and there was a lot of, um, what we would now call racial intermingling, intermarriage, um, not, not a very strong racial consciousness. But over time, that became a political factor that became, I think, especially uh, by the middle or the late 19th century, race became a thing in South Africa. And people started to see that um, it's going to be an ideology that's going to take you upwards or downwards. Um, if you can pass for white, you're going to have a much better life, much better future than if you fail to pass for white. And so that's that's what I, what I call a construction of whiteness, is that there was a historical time when whiteness became an identity in South Africa with dividends. And so uh, people started to put a, to invest a lot in that identity for the sake of privilege. Um, and it became more and more so towards the end of the 19th, early 20th century after the Anglo-Boer War when uh, instead of um, working with the working class and recently urbanized black people against the British, the Afrikaans people decided to go for the racial identity and um, seek their seek their um, what's the word, um, or identify with the British white people as a white people, you know, so, so this is what I mean by construction. It's a kind of a extraction of a certain part of the population from the rest of the population and starting to call them white. Glad I got the detail. Much obliged. Um, with this identity, we say we're going to be clout or the people that say that they are white. Uh, Linda, or pfft, I can get to that too, but do you know uh, Sandra Lang? Not personally, I mean. Yes. But, okay. Yeah, I, not this. I know the story. I know the movie. Okay, okay. Do you think she's classified as a white person in South Africa? That was the whole, that was what the whole movie was about, wasn't it? That she was um, born to two white parents, but she then sort of failed the pencil test kind of a thing. Um, so she was then, and the crisis was then that she was not allowed anymore to go to a white school. So she didn't, she didn't manage to pass as white. Um, and the the setting is the height of apartheid, um, just I think in the fifties when when the racial racist racial laws were so fierce. Um, so so yeah, I, I know her story. What do you want to? We were talking about racial classification, really confusion in South Africa, and someone brought up that case, and I said, I was pretty, everything that you just said, we had uh, Anthony Fabian, who made that film, Skin, he was a guest on our broadcast way back when, and we, everything that I saw about that was like, yeah, I don't think she is accepted as white, and we've had some folks where they said, well, do you think maybe the mom was stepping out? Do you think maybe she had an affair? And I said, 
I don't <laughs> think so. Uh, I think they even had DNA testing that seemed to confirm that, yeah, this is, you know, to, that she is the biological uh, offspring of these two white parents. Do you think, did you see any evidence that she might have had an affair with somebody non-white? The mom of no, that's not, that's, that's not how I read the story. I think what that is such a nice illustration of what I said before, that we actually have a much uh, more mixed history than we now pretend, you know. And so it's um, um, she, she, she then um, didn't look white because of ancestors that were not white. Um, and but. But but if you if you look a historically and if you if you look with a racist perspective you think whiteness and blackness are simply given categories but of course they're not and this is what the story of skin shows us so so heartbreakingly because this child understands that there's something with her being that is not okay and that that makes it so terrible to watch because that is the message that the world conveys to her. Mm. Mm. painfully thank you for indulging me because this is not really related to the well I guess it is I take it because that is that is the yes it is retract it is that is the construction of whiteness right there you are not even if you have two white eh, get on out of here um yeah we just brought that up about racial classification confusion in fact Linda Martin Alcoff she was just a guest on our program literally days ago and you quote her uh, she has that whole book on white, literally, that's the title of it, on whiteness. Uh, and you quote her on the same page. Have you seen a picture of Dr. Linda Alcoff? I've met her, actually. So I've seen oh. her in action. Where did <laughs> you Where did you meet her at? I saw her speak in New York City, actually. Jeez. So I'm, a, I'm a fan, yeah. I'm she's a fan. A fan. <laughs> do, do, you think she's, uh, do you think she's accepted as white, Dr. Alcoff? Look, it's so hard to say, you know, who gets. So, so, so I said passing for white is a thing that was a big deal under apartheid law in South Africa. And, and you know, we know now of people who passed for white who had colored families or whatever or the other way around. So, so race is a very slippery, very difficult concept. You cannot legislate it and you cannot. Um, so, so I also know that. Um, if you go to different places in the world, people will racially classify you differently, right? Um, people who are considered called called or considered colored in South Africa very often are seen as black in the U.S. and as white in Brazil. <laughs> you know, so so it's very context specific how people read one another's race. But of course, it's very um, it's it's not a science. It is a perception and that makes it extremely um, slippery and subjective and yeah, just a very, very difficult concept. But, but, but I don't think she sees herself as white, Linda Alcoff. Well, how do you understand her identity? Uh, we asked her about that at the, the same way that I asked you, are you classified as a, white person uh and it did take some going around in a while but eventually she did concede yes i do get matter of fact wait a minute that is not the correct way to do it because you didn't even answer my question sorry listeners have to do i'm not doing well and nine hours oh we are way earlier than we should be uh you didn't answer my question uh dr detour 
And that is one of the ways that white people often practice racism. And that is really slick because you didn't answer my question. Then you turned back to get my uh, answer on it. We've been talking, man. You write about this. You went and saw her in person. Did you think you were listening to someone classified as white? I'm just asking your view. You study on all this. Did you think you were listening to a white woman when you heard Dr. Alcoff? Um, I know that when I'm in a different context, my categories don't work. Um, but yeah, in, with my South African glasses, lenses on, I would say she, I thought she was white, but, but obviously she's, um, met, um, Central American from, um, Panama, if I'm right. Correct. Thank you for answering. It's not that difficult. See there, not that difficult. Yeah, she did. She said she had a father from Panama, which is not, you know, that's not a racial classification. That doesn't, you know, they have white people in Panama. They have non-white people in Panama. And I don't know, what does he look like President Obama? Does he look like Nelson Mandela? Like what, what complexion are we talking about? Uh, this person in Panama, but any rate, we also uh, have to. I mean, whenever we talk race, we also have to. We have to also say it's not a real thing, right? For sure, for <laughs> we, sure. Race, racism is a real thing. Race is not a very real thing, to my mind. White people, I think the the way that I try to be most accurate, individuals classified as white, like yourself, they get to make this up as they go. This is not based on the <laughs> science. This is, I mean, they have whole books on this white by law where that's almost exactly what not just white bums or white poor people say white judges say we know what a white person is. It might change from time to time, but you know, we know what it is and we don't even yeah. have to tell you what it is, but we'll, you know, mm-hmm. let you know if you are or not and act accordingly. <laughs> I mean, yeah, 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 no, no, very true. Yeah, but um, in South Africa, unfortunately, we still have to racially classify ourselves. I don't know if that's a thing where you live, but well, every we, now and then you have to state your race. For um, what, give us a context. When when was the last time you had to state your racial classification? When I was claiming money for doing work for another university, then I have to say, I have to say, and then the the reason is it's for redress. Um, and you can understand that, but at the same time, it means we have to constantly reclassify ourselves. So we, we're not allowed to say, can't we overcome race? You know, so it's, it's a little bit ironic, but at the same time, you can see where it's coming from. I don't know if we have that sort of thing at the bank, although I have to pay attention the next time I go, because maybe you do. I have to pay attention the next time I, oh, they do ask for your driver's license. And I think racial classification is on the driver's license. So maybe they do ask directly or indirectly at the bank here, but they do have racial classification on lots of official government forms. It's on the birth certificate, lots of official U.S. paperwork, government seal and everything, racial classification. Normally, oh, really? one of the first okay. things that they mention, racial classification. What is it? Bang, get that out of the way quick, then we can move on to, well, even when they do a uh, police description for crime or what have you, racial classification is one of the first things. Normally, they give that even before they get to a gender, uh, before male, female, what are you looking for? Mm-hmm. White, black dude has raped somebody, black dude, six feet, but, yeah, 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 yeah. 
Um, and do they? Um, how many options do they give you for racial classification? Oh is my it, God! Is it infinite, man? <laughs> infinite, as many oh, as you can oh. think of. Like they, they're, and I mean literally, they're adding more each day. Uh, I don't know if they're doing that. Are they? Is it like that in South Africa? Are they adding more? I don't. What diversity yeah. or more? Oh, well, yeah, no, not actually, you know, it's not very subtle. So it's we largely stuck with the apartheid categories, um, which is sad. Yeah. So it's not very refined. It's it's like that white judge of yours is still still telling us what we are. Oh, OK, that's an important difference. That's here. It's they even have the other. Do they have the other box where you can just write in whatever you want. Do they have that there? Uh, uh, sometimes it says other or I don't want to say, but not always. Fascinating. See, once again, <laughs> they have a very small population of white people in South Africa. I could see how this would be a lot more, you know, take this serious, not messing around type of a thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. Are you familiar with Dr. I mentioned his name already because this report is a little bit newer, even 2020, but I mean, wow, 2023, this chapter rather. Are you familiar with Dr. Tommy J. Curry, uh, his book, The Man Not Race Class Genre, The Dilemmas of Black Manhood? I I am only aware of it. I must confess I haven't actually read the book. I know I should read. It's on my list to read. Okay. I was just... Why, why are you asking? Is it, is there, are there some resonances between our work? Or... <sighs> Oh, my goodness. Uh, I cannot count the overlap. Uh, one, the whole section, uh, it's almost verbatim uh, where you talk about the willful exclusion. In fact, layers of overlap where you talk about the exclusion that you or in fact, you give me your interpretation and I'll just pick out the, the points where he differs. But explain for our listeners some of the reasons why other feminists will say Hey, Dr. Dutort, we do not need to talk about black male victims of sexual abuse. Give some of the reasons that they give to you. Well, the first one would be, but 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 are there such people? You know, so, so I spoke of the three levels of um, uh, denial of rape. The first is just to simply straightforwardly deny that it is happening. So people would ask, but do black men get raped or, or assume that they do not? So that would be a first level. Um, or then assume that it happens in very small numbers. And that seems to me also not a good reason um, not to talk about it. But also we don't have accurate stats, but I don't think it happens in such small numbers. Um, then the second one is to trivialize uh, what is happening. And I think especially because so much of um, the rape of black men that we are publicly aware of happens in prison, people trivialize that and they start to see it simply as part of the penalty, part of the, the penalty for the crime that they are in prison for, instead of seeing it as a, as a serious human rights violation. Um, and then thirdly, they will distort the meanings. So they will say, well, maybe you asked for it, you know, exactly the kind of logic that, um, that we apply, um, for, for women, like what was she wearing or, or maybe he is gay or something like that. One of the anecdotes I also picked up on that I discuss in my 
uh, chapter is of a, a black guy who told his friends that he had been raped and they immediately asked him, what are you gay now? So, so that's another reason why people don't want to talk about this because it is somehow a reflection on their sexuality. So these are a bunch of reasons why um, the topic would not surface. Or people would say, well, it detracts from the, the, the women. Um, and, I, and I also mentioned how some of the anti-rape activism in South Africa had a, a, a very explicit anti-male stance. So they, one of the hashtags was hashtag um, may not trash. And I, I'm saying we don't, we don't need that kind of activism. We need to, um, we need to build bridges of solidarity around male and female victims of sexual violence. I did not know about the anti-male stance with, wow, but no, it does not surprise me. Wow. Men are trash in the dumpster with us. Indeed. Uh, I, Dr. Curry has a lot in common with, and has as a black male who talks about black males and them being victims of sexual abuse he encounters directly a lot of this resistance to his scholarship uh, in the man, not his book. Uh, he writes, this is on page 125, the political economy of niggerdom black boys experience sexual abuse, largely in isolation. They rarely have access to professional resources or social networks that understand and can speak to the reality of male victims of sexual assault and rape. The young boys experience experience feelings of loss, alienation, and fear of removal by the state if the abuse is reported. Abandonment, anger, neglect, distrust, and depression are all realities for young victims of sexual violence. This is only exacerbated by the lack of other black males in black communities in whom young black boys can confide. Given the high percentage of female-headed families in the African-American community, not having a reliable confidant is a reality for many African-American boys. In this sense, an African-American boy's perception of a female caretaker's failure to acknowledge this issue may contribute further to his feelings of rage and depression. Uh, and he even goes on to give some of the same uh, where you talked about where the same black male shares and the person laughs at them or trivializing, as you said, where that is so common, they ridicule uh, and fine. I just won't talk about this at all. And this end up being by myself, uh, which happens to a lot of sex abuse victims, children, males, females but i mean we don't even as he said we don't even think that these people exist black victims mm-hmm. and even not just victims of men that i would say is one point that he does make a big emphasis on uh black boys black males period black boys and black males being victims of sexual abuse from females even white women. And I think that is so important. Uh, it is not just uh, white males. Uh, he said that's another one that people are very resistant to thinking that, wow, a female can perpetrate <laughs> sexual abuse against a much less against a black male. Like, ugh, do you see that same sort of resistance to females perpetrating sexual abuse against vic- black victims in South Africa? 
I haven't, I must honestly say, I haven't looked so much at white or at female perpetrators. Um, I, I know it happens. The way I understand it is, um, you know, if we can get away from this, all these ways in which we naturalize rape, uh, especially heterosexual rape, that we say, well, men are natural perpetrators, women are natural victims, and so on then we don't see the extent to which rape is really a power construct and how much social scaffolding goes into con um, sort of uh, making that that sexual abuse possible and creating impunity for the perpetrators. And if you understand that there's always bystanders and there's always enablers um, and lookouts for people who perpetrate sexual violence and who... Um, to assert their power in that way, then you can quickly start to see how many women are complicit in that kind of violence um, and that they can be behind it, orchestra orchestrated and even sometimes perpetrated. I have, I have no doubt um, that, that, that women are sometimes part of, of that, uh, of that um, dynamic. Um, that's definitely the case. And, and we, um, yeah, if we if we use our categories too simplistically, then we think, oh well, rape is just what some men do to some women, and that's that's far too simplistic. And I think that the male on male rape that we see in the prisons helps us to see the extent to which it's a it's a game of power and control and exploitation of labor more clearly than if we if we imagine heterosexual rape. Um, which which we tend to see as oh it's just normal male lust and it's just normal for female bodies to be victimized in this way. Um, so that is, that's also part of my argument is that if we if we think clearly look look a little bit more broadly at who are all of the victims of sexual violence and who are everybody that is complicit. It's no longer such an easy um, male-female divide. Mm. The power dynamic, so important. Highlight, underline power uh, and being able to sexually just control, dominate someone that pops up over and over. In fact, I would even submit Dr. Curry, as well as in uh, The Delectable Negro, number one book on my book list, uh, they both and other scholars, even the importance of thinking of lynchings in the U.S., Brazil as well, uh, lynchings, because that's mostly black males. That right there is frequently an act of sexual abuse because so frequently they were castrated. Uh, and even the case in Florida with Claude Neal, where he was castrated and they forced him to con to eat his own penis. There's a whole chapter uh, on that one specific lynching in The Delectable Negro. But when you talk about that implied sexual degeneracy, that makes a whole lot of things really easy in terms of abusing. Because, I mean, hey, who's going to protect and look out for a sexual degenerate of some sort. I mean, oof, get away from me. I don't want to be associated with you, which is generally the case. Uh, are you? Do you know the book To Kill a Mockingbird? This is a U.S. novel, so I mean, it's no. Yes, 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 it's a classic. <laughs> <sighs> I'm talking to a scholar here. What was I thinking? Did, do you do you know? Did you read it, or you saw the movie, or you just? 
I read it, and I also read a biography um, of the author. Um, Harper Lee. Harper Lee, yeah, yeah. Talking to a scholar. What was I thinking? She came to New York to see Dr. Alcoff. What was I thinking? Um, <laughs> that book right there, uh, because this is a point of delectable Negro, the black male, Tom Robinson, uh, <laughs> May Ella Yule, white woman, she comes after him sexually. He is married. He resists her. They end up taking him to jail. They try to lynch him. They convict him for raping her. And then they do kill him. That book right there is a really sanitized version of this whole topic. You want to talk about sexually vulnerable. I could be lynched, killed, and convicted of raping a white woman just because I resist her coming on to me and I don't even think people look at that novel and it's just what you said a classic other side of the world and she read it even knows about Harper Lee I didn't even do that they teach it in school people don't even say wait a minute why is this such a beloved classic that seems to have at the center a sexually vulnerable black and that's why it is so we need to work so hard to what I call also to decolonize our understanding of sexual violence um, I don't know maybe one can use another term to, to, to have an anti-racist um, interpretation and activism around sexual violence because we so easily fall into all of these traps of the legacy of how it was construed, how it was prosecuted, what meanings were given to it. Because I'm saying in the in the height of apartheid in South Africa, it was not even the sexual integrity of the white woman that was protected by anti-rape laws. It was the white male supremacy that was protected. Um, so, so there's so much going on in rape discourse that has that serves other agendas, racist agendas, colonial agendas, imperialist agendas that have nothing to do, that has nothing to do with the actual victims. Um, and, and your example of, of the, white ma uh, the black man who's falsely accused as a particular kind of sexual violence victim um, that illustrates it so very well how we lose sight of the real victims very often. We don't even think of Tom Robbins as a uh, victim. He's <laughs> raping Negra. You know, world is better off not having him. He, in fact, I even had to talk about that. He's not even the victim in the movie. The victim are those white children uh, who get attacked later on. They are the victims. Like, oh man, can't believe they went after those. It's Tom Robbins is kind of like, oh yeah, they did kill him. And the fact that he's a sexually vulnerable victim who was almost <laughs> raped by a white woman, that is totally forgotten. Like, oh my goodness, poor Miss Yule. I can't believe they treated her like that on the stand. Uh, just because you did just say white male supremacy in South Africa, and that is a point that I try to emphasize, we cannot have a global system of white supremacy that has lasted for centuries everywhere without white women and white men. What role do white women play in the maintenance of white supremacy in South Africa? 
No, that's a big question, and that's a, that's a topic that I've also started to think about. And how can how can we use our specific positionality to to dismantle white male supremacy? What can we? Uh, so 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 white women have often been accused of simply upholding white supremacy, but doesn't our position in the system also give us some leeway or some levers? Um, aren't we aren't we particularly well positioned to actually undermine or disrupt or destabilize the system? That's that's what I'm also interested in. And how to how to go about that. That is great. I guess if if you know white people are interested in you know white people are ending the system in of white supremacy racism, but uh, specific this is another one where very important to get an answer on this one, especially if you are looking to do more research on this. And even you are a white woman. This is one you could even think personally, like, dang, let me think about that. How how have I, as a white woman, helped to maintain the local South African system of white supremacy racism, like? Yeah, let's let's mm-hmm. get that. You personally, you don't even have to do it from a scholarly. You personally, how have you, as a white woman, helped maintain the national system of white supremacy in South Africa? Yeah, <laughs> yes. I think one of the first things is that you get socialized into fearing black men sexually and desiring white men sexually. And when I realized that, when I realized the extent to which my, even my affective life, my emotional life has been trained in a racist way, um, I started to, to look, you know, started to think differently about my own sexual desire and started to see how, um, it was shaped by by apartheid South Africa and how it need not be limited by apartheid South Africa. Um, maybe I'm not answering your question again. I will point out that when you started your response, I don't think this is that it shouldn't be uncomfortable in my view, at least, um, just thinking about, you know, I am a white person, so there have to be ways that I, I mean, to me, that seems kind of basic logic, right? I am a white person, so there have to be things that I'm doing that help keep all of this. It's not that many of us here, too, like, oh, my goodness, it's 7%. It's not a whole lot of us. So I mean, it's got to be. Um, that could be, but when you started your response, you said you get socialized. You were speaking in second person. I don't even live on the continent. I've never been there. The correct way would have been <laughs> I. I was socialized. socialized. Yes, yes, yes. yes. That's I was socialized. Dissonant, but yeah, I mean, there should be lots of ways, right? I mean, you're not ten, right? So you've been there for enough time to think. Hmm. There must have been a lot of different ways that I have done things to help maintain, support the system of whites. Am I being logical? If I'm not being logical, you can let me know that too. Is that logical? Yes, it is. Okay. Yeah, and it's an important question to ask, and not just in the past tense, also in the present tense. Um, what am I currently doing? So, you know, you can just see, I can see where I buy my groceries. <laughs> is it in the white middle class supermarket rather than in the in the black neighborhood supermarket? Yes, it is most of the time. So, yeah, I suppose that's one way. 
in my view, any t- I always give the side eye anytime a white woman like yourself, they use the term white male supremacy. Ooh, we. No, 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 no. White supremacy. You have to have white women and white men to practice racism. And a big part of this, many non-white people, we end up thinking that this is true, that this is just the fault of white men, that we've had all of this. And I mean, that is so bonkers. Like, I have a bridge to sell you if you think that that is true. Like, that doesn't make sense at all. They're producing the children. They say that the first uh, parent, the first teacher of that child, man, who are they getting all these? In fact, how are they getting all these ideas? The one that you did share or one component uh, about this fear of black males, sexual fear of black males. Where was that coming from? How did you get this information that you should have some sort of trepidation about, you know, being too close to, you know, any of these black dudes uh, in Johannesburg? Yeah, well, it's it's from all all sides. It's um, it's from teachers. It's from school church leaders. It's from dang. everybody. <laughs> dang, dang! She said the teachers and the church leaders. Oh, religion of what? So wait a minute. How did, in the school? So is the teacher saying stay away from the black? Dude? It's no black dude. Did you go to a school with any black children? students no 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 we were we grew up in a white world okay so were the teachers saying like don't mess with the black dudes or what i think it wasn't even so in so many words but people would um let me now think of an example but but you would sort of associate or i would associate um fear of rape with with a black stranger, I think. Um, yeah. And the church, she said, oh, man, that's in Dr. Falcoff's work, so I can't really, I can't be surprised about that anymore. She has a whole great report about all the satanic black rapists. Uh, she said a big deal uh, in the 80s. Lots of fear about that uh, amongst white people in the South. That is wild. Wow. Everybody is, watch out, be raped by a black dude. Like, what? You don't even allow black dudes to come in the neighborhood. Like, what do you? Come on, come on. Do you do you remember like any when you were a child in South Africa growing up? Do you remember any black seeing like any black boys in the neighborhood or as you were going about doing your thing, going to school? Do you remember? Oh wow, black boy. How about that? <laughs> yes, in high school, I met through people who were um, trying to get white and black kids together to discuss the future of the country. I met a boy from Soweto. Um, <clears throat> so <clears throat> that was he lived very far from where, where I, I was living. But we had a very intense discussion. I think we were 13 or 14. And he told me about things about my country and my government that I just couldn't believe. Um, so it was absolutely fascinating learning Looking, looking to my own world through his eyes was a, was a absolute, an, an absolute education. He came from an activist family in Soweto. And we became friends. And I, after I met him and I felt a little bit, um, I might be slightly in love, I said to my dad, um, you know, can, can I marry a black boy, black guy? 
And his answer to me was, marriage is very difficult. Do you want to make it even more difficult? <laughs> that was his answer to me. Hey, in South Africa, uh, I'd say, hey, 2024, or certainly this seems like it might have been in the 80s or at some point, uh, P.W. Botha type era uh, of apartheid, white supremacy. That would be a great question to think about. Like, wow, the ramifications of such a union here. Whew. Even for us. Would have, would have been not only illegal, but, but yeah, it would have been a massive challenge. Yeah. We might be killed. Is that a true statement at that time? We might be killed for such a thing. Uh, I, I'm not sure we would have been killed. But we would have been ostracized, maybe even by both both communities, because hmm. it was really almost a civil war at that ta- at that stage. Hmm. This is just my interpretation. I could be totally wrong, and it'll be a fun listening exercise for all. To me, it sounded like there was a more certain opposition in her response to. My, when I said before that we had Dr. Uh, Alisa Savali on the program and she went to South Africa and she said that the white people were afraid that the black people were going to steal their water, she sounded a lot more certain in her response, like, no way, that is not happening, than she did there when I asked if they could have been killed for such a union. It seemed like she at least had to pause and think about it, like, hmm, uh, might be in the room, but no, no, I don't think, hmm. That'd be one you can listen back to. But it did seem like she had to think about it. Like, I know here in the United States for a long period, yes, you might have to think about that because, yes, you could be killed for doing such a thing. To kill a mockingbird, Tom Robbins didn't survive. Uh, Wow. I have learned quite a bit. Uh, Wow. Uh, thank, I guess, to Doc. Oh, wait a minute. You have you met her too? She's a South. That seems like a, a easy one. Have you met Doctor Falkoff in person? Yeah. Yeah. Yes, course. I have. Of course. Yeah. Uh, but they're all in the same town, so yeah, yeah. Uh, is she a white person? We're not in the same town. She's far from me. <laughs> yeah. How far but is far? Like driving distance. Thousand four hundred kilometers. Oh, okay. I guess that's the distance. And do you think she's white? Um, you're asking me difficult questions about people's race tonight, but I think she's, she's, she's white. Yeah. I think she, yeah, she, I think she would have, let's put it this way. She would have been classified white under apartheid. Same as me. 2024. Is she still classified as white? You think she'd be accepted as a white person? Okay. Yeah. We, some of our <laughs> listeners looked at her picture. Well, you've seen her in person, so see, that would be, that's why I said, I love traveling. I'd like, come hang out in South Africa. Uh, but we looked at her picture, like, wow, she looks a little darker than I would expect for a lot of white people. But then with pictures, and then sometimes people get a tan, you don't know if they've been outside a lot, and that sort of thing. But I know at least a few of our listeners are kind of like, whoa, she's a little, little darker than I was expecting for someone classified as white. But that has been known to happen sometimes. Uh, Wow, I learned a ton. It might even be what we had talked about before. Like, hey, these classifications are not exactly based on science. So who knows if you go back and look far enough. Um, we have been chatting it up uh, live from South Africa. Dr. Louise de Toit. Uh, 
learning quite a bit about uh, the southern part of the continent. Uh, I will definitely have to keep an eye, especially if you are you doing, did you say you were doing future research on how white women practice racism or is this just something you're percolating, thinking about for the moment? So um, with two other white colleagues, white women colleagues, we we ventured, we tried to write a, an article on this, but the emphasis was on what what white women can do to, so what what our role was historically um, in colonial times, apartheid times, and now how white women still uphold racist structures in the post-colony, and then what what could we do to disrupt. So we actually wrote something, um, and we hope it will be published soon. Oh, that'll be something for us to look out for. Like, okay. See if uh, they have any strategies that can be used and such. Um, it has been a hoot. Uh, again, our guest, uh, Dr. Louise Detroit, joining us live from South Africa. Uh, thank you for indulging, answering our questions. I don't think we've been, it was difficult. She said we asked some uh, uncomfortable questions, or I guess challenging questions about racial classifications. That's, uh, you know. You study racism. You have to talk about racial classifications. All Sandra Lang, man, Sandra Lang. <laughs> Thanks a ton for hanging out with us. Learned a bunch, and we will be looking for that report. Hopefully, they will publish it. And if there's resistance to publishing it, hmm, that would tell me a lot too. But we will keep an eye out. Thank you so much for sharing a bit of your Monday evening. Thank you very much, Gus. It was very nice to get to know you a bit better as well. Oh, for sure, for sure. Keep up the uh, great scholarship, and uh, we will have an eye out either way. If they don't publish, that just lets me know more resistance to racism. But we will keep an eye out. Keep up the great work. Thank you. Thank you. Good night. Oh, yeah, have a nice Monday. <laughs> That's right. 12.30 p.m. here. Long way to go. Enjoy your evening. We will catch up. Thank you. Bye-bye. Context of white supremacy. Man, 12. Can you believe that? 12.30 p.m. And we've already got the broadcast done. Wacky. Wacky. No fan. Of, and not feeling well. Gusty. Like less than, you know, best. Feeling great and start our week off feeling spectacular. Like, nope. I really would have rather, especially today, like, <sighs> could have been resting, napping, on the counter-racist grind. We'll take quick pause, uh, get back, let folks know the schedule for the week, and uh, get ready to wrap up, thankfully, so I can go hop back in the bed. Context of white supremacy, we will be right back. Got another term on there, VGQ. What does that mean? Victims Guaranteed Qualification. Now, that keeps you from getting into arguments with other black people, particularly on television, which I get sick of that. Black people shouting. You know, we get into our ghetto thing once we get on television and get wound up, and we start all yelling at once. And the racists sit there smugly and just look. They watch the tennis match, so to speak. Right? And black people are shouting each other down, talking about, you don't know what you're talking about, and so and so and so and so, and we go into our Amos and Andy and Sapphire Act. Okay. VGQ means victims guaranteed qualification. Guaranteed qualification to do what? To give your opinion on anything about race. Don't care what it is. 
if you on there with uh, Minister Farrakhan or you on there with uh, Mike Tyson or you on there with uh, Miss, what's her name, Williams, the lady that had him put in, you know, recommended that he be put in jail, or you on there with uh, anybody. So you don't cut the other black person down. I don't even like that term, brother and sister, even though it's been around for about 30 years. But I ain't, I ain't going to talk about the brother here, you know. No. See, we haven't reached that stage where we can do that. See, we got we got to crawl before we walk, and but we don't miss any steps. Don't say you are what you're not. Don't say you feel something that you don't really feel. You don't really feel that he's a brother. I usually use the expression, I don't like anybody in here. I say that to all audiences. I haven't been taught to like anybody. I've been taught to dislike people. I've been taught that. Hmm. And then they're taught to dislike me, so it's just compounded disliking. They haven't even got to love yet. All right. So what we do is minimize conflict, try not to hurt each other. So a certain thing, that's what a code is for. It's a stopgap. It keeps me from saying something against you. You say, well, don't you agree with uh, what this person just said down here on the other end and whatnot? That person has VGQ, Mr. Donahue. I keep using him because he's one of the most prominent uh, TV people. Right. But the main thing you do is try to stay off of a radio program or TV program or even a neighborhood stage program, you might say, where you spend your time shouting back and forth at other black people. Nothing is getting done there. And when it's done on television, a lot of black people just get up from the TV set and go on in the kitchen somewhere. Once that shouting starts, yeah, they get disgusted. Say, you know, they say, oh, here we go. They started off okay, but now they are, you know, they're doing a job on each other and I don't even want to hear it. So just don't do it. And you cut it off. The cutoff point is that person has Victims guarantee qualification. You spell it out what it means. Meaning the person can say anything about race that they want to, and I can say anything about it that I want to. You, you are guaranteed that. You earn that as a victim. Jump about being a victim. Now, if a white person says something, that's something else. Buddy, love that last lay. If a white person says something, that's something else. Not white people. Victims guarantee qualified. No arguing with other victims. Hopefully. Context of white supremacy. Are, we are live in February 2024. It'll be 15 uninterrupted years of broadcasting. Hopefully. We have demonstrated that. Have, you know, failures and such. Everybody slips once in a while, walking at some point. But I think we've been pretty consistent in not arguing squabbling other non-white people and the main thing try to keep the focus on the problem the people classified as white talking to questioning and learning from them that's where the focus should be not bickering squabbling these other victims uh, who you don't have to agree with let's just go about the work of solving the problem Anywho, uh, we will be here. Uh, I'm going to bed, so we will be done for the day. 
uh, and uh, hopefully we will be back on Thursday. Book Club, Catherine Massey Book Club. Uh, this will be our penultimate session on Lionel Dahmer's memoir. Uh, that was one of the right on time for the subject. What were we talking about? Oh, yes. Black male victims of sexual abuse. Non-white victims, non-white males. Dahmer chomping on them. Yum, yum, yum. Delectable Negro. Penultimate session this uh, Thursday. Normal time, thank Jesus. 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 p.m. Pacific. Uh, we will wrap it up next Thursday, but that was one of the reasons why I was okay with reading the book, because we'll be done quick, and then we can do our compare to Sue Klebold and skate to the next text. Anywho, that's Thursday, and then normal broadcast time for the rest of the week. Check the updates for the schedule. They blocked me out of my Facebook account, uh, which I only use for program purposes. So I'm disgruntled because it would have been easier for promotion purposes and such. I still use my Twitter at Until Justice. Hopefully I'll get that uh, restored. In the meantime, y'all can compensate and share links for the program. And that way folks will know we did not die. I know sometimes people really, um, how should, they do not invest a whole lot of effort like whatever platform that they use to access the cows if anything happens if I don't use it or if I get blocked out or it uh, no longer works like with Podchaser they shut it down they don't check anywhere else they don't send any emails like oh man Gusty quit on us oh well find something else <laughs> like wait a minute wait a minute wait a minute it's, after all these years it's not worth an email like hey is is the cow still on yep 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 we are on a number of outlets apple podcasts youtube pod bean pod chaser spotify amazon music long list i could go on more but i mean dang that should be a really good start if it ever happens that i get blocked out of uh, Apple Podcasts, hopefully not, or Spotify or whatever else. There are other outlets and or you can always drop an email to check untiljustice at gmail.com. Hopefully I won't get blocked out of that too. Anyway, hopefully I'll have my Facebook back soon and uh, Twitter at untiljustice. Post there, right there, all that good stuff. Anywho, uh, I will get in, let's see quick comments uh the broadcast for today number one no bragging i think irie added that to mr fuller's 10 stops producejustice.com she added that to the 10 stops in her recommendation no bragging we are still non-white people being terrorized all around the world nothing to brag about let's just go about our business solve this problem asap flawless logic brilliant irie uh, so no bragging, but I will stand by my work with specifically the amount of programs that we've done uh, on South Africa. Uh, we did read Madiba's autobiography in the book club and then even all the way back 2009, the very year that we came back on the air, Anthony Fabian, who was in the UK, who did the film uh, Skin, S-K-I-N, uh, 2008 about uh, Sandra Lang and the racial classification confusion. Yes, I did see that movie and we talked to the film director, filmmaker uh, himself uh, about that project. I even remember then that some people, when we were talking about all that, they thought that the white parent uh, had been stepping out and 
that's not my like I said I think I've seen where they had the uh, DNA testing and that too suggested that yeah no affair two white parents non-white offspring happens sometimes Dr. Welsing talked about this in the archives Anthony Fabian white man you can go back and hear all that even watch the film if you uh, have not seen or don't know about Sandra Lang, you can watch the film and look at some of the real content. I mean, this is a real person. That uh, skin is not a documentary. Make sure people aren't, you know, thinking that's what it, it is. Not a documentary, uh, but it does reveal a lot about racism, white supremacy in South Africa, uh, specifically, and racial classification confusion. And they go into detail about some of, you know, what Doctor Nigger in the Woodpile is the phrase they use here. I don't know if they use that over there. Anyway, and even we talked about the mining all the rape homoeroticism there uh we had Rihad Desai as a guest on the program Minor Shot Down and Bambada 1906 very important films uh he's made a number of them uh I would encourage folks like man maybe pick out a region and do some studying of racism white supremacy in this area over the last hundred years just that might be a project or a way that we can better refine our ability to articulate explain mobilize towards replacing white supremacy with justice south africa be one of those places of study fascinating environment seven percent population of people classified as white and they still dominate all the dark people uh let's see uh got that about the population she did say that seems some of the white people might be leaving like dang i would be curious to see more about that like is this long-lasting trend like are they all leaving you know like what i can't imagine this whole project we're just going to abandon all these years like are you serious what i'm sure the black people was in about time should have left a long time ago that would be one i'd have to keep an eye because i've heard that uh before um white exodus from certain areas and then it turns out not to be so that'd be one put that reason to study see if that is true and if that you know is a continuing thing um Oh man, the white male supremacy, that is what I do not ever use that term. I do not use that term. System of white supremacy. System of white supremacy. System of white supremacy. Context of white supremacy. You cannot have centuries. We don't even know how long this has been going on. Centuries. White woman. White man and white child have been in charge of the whole planet known universe and you can't have all that without white women being right there fuller says it all the time produce justice equal partners and that's so deceptive and confusing when they do that because so many and i mean like black people that i put my hand on personally and people that i've talked to and all the rest of it that is so uh common where non-white people period all over the world think that yes this is white male supremacy or white patriarchy sometimes they don't even put the white on it they were just in a system of patriarchy that sort of nonsense uh where it's yeah we the white women need affirmative action too white men been holding them down too are you out of your mind Some of us, victims of racism, Dr. Welsing does say we don't qualify for mental health. So the answer would be, yes, we are out of our mind, not in touch with reality, truth at all. 
try to correct that context of white supremacy doing our small part. No, it is not white male supremacy. We started, we didn't have a male at the beginning of the program saying, oh my gosh, we could be chocolate colored. That was a white woman, Africana. Fear of white genetic annihilation. Uh, the And even in the same context, when I was speaking with Dr. Uh, Detort about the how she as a white woman practices racism as she conceded, that is important. I am for sure. When, uh, if they, if, I guess I have to put it up there. Uh-oh. Maybe they get resistance. But if that document comes out about white women's role and what they can do to try to solve this problem, hmm, let's see it. I'll share when it gets published. If they don't publish it, well then, yeah, what I said, dedicated to white supremacy racism, no surprise. Um, but when I asked and she had to think about it, she finally, she said, scared of nigger, which is dang. Like that's the first thing scared of and scared that they would do something sexual, be raped by a Negro. Even the rewind, I was thinking real time. We had Phoebe Zerwick as a guest on the program. Was that August? I feel like it might've been August, right at the end of August, maybe. Uh, and she was talking about Daryl Hunt, privileged black male, uh, he went to jail, wrongly accused, uh, all those years in prison and all the rest of it. Uh, and even within that book, she talked about how the gar- white North Carolina guards would make the black male inmates put on a dress. And then they would go and have these brothels and all this. <laughs> anyway, she said, I was the first time she did an interview where someone asked her about that. Within that, towards the end of that broadcast, a caller dialed in and asked, are you afraid of black guys? Which I thought reasonable, man, given what we've heard today, given the system of racism, given OJ Simpson, that's a reasonable question and I said that to her a uh, lot of time but I didn't ask quite but anyway caller asked that and she got like real uh, what's the matter bent out of shape like oh my god I can't believe you asked me that am I afraid of black dudes you know and then uh, that was the one she she said uh, she she got raped in Chicago I don't know if she said south side or not my memory is not that precise on it but I know she said Chicago uh, that she uh, it was, when it wasn't raped, it was uh, she was mugged. That was it. She was mugged uh, in Chicago. I'm like what? What? And even some people are like, because that's kind of you know, the uh oh, can't say nigra anymore. So in some environments, instead of nigra, just say oh, the black on black crime in Chicago. That's <laughs> all so Obama's former stopping grounds. That type of a thing. Anyway, uh, and I said live time. Then, are you serious? You're going to be outraged about that question. Someone asking you, a white woman, given the work that you do, are you afraid of black males? Come on. Come on. At minimum. No. No way. I know why you say this and all the rape and you know, the birth of a nation. O.J. Simpson, I got it. But no, no. Black dudes are A-OK with me. Next question. Keep it moving, right? Anyway, uh, when she 
gave our response, Dr. Dutoit, moving back. And she say, you get socialized into hating the black males that, in my view, very important, the same way that individuals classified as white, they don't specify white person, white people. It's us. We're the problem. We're the reason for all of this and being very specific about all of that. Same sort of thing. I got socialized, not in a general sense and talking about white people over there. They'll even do that a lot too, where they are white. It'll be a white author or someone, Dr. Dutort or someone. They are white, but they'll be talking about other white people. No, we, I'm better yet. I, I am not talking about folks over there. I don't even have to do that. I can just talk about me and my role in this. What have I done? What am I doing right now? That is way more beneficial always than the privilege and benefits and, you know, all of that. And there's so many. I mean, the list would be endless, which you conceded as well. The list would be endless in terms of things that white people do. And a lot of it is words. I would even submit one. You can add any use, especially any, really anybody, any use of the term white male supremacy. Oh, man, that right there. That is confusing to non-white people where many of us are duped and tricked and we, white women don't practice racism. What are you talking about? VGQ. Non-white person who takes that VGQ, black brother. VGQ, black sister. Now, I am going to have to minimize contact with you because woof, could be dangerous hanging out with you with that sort of mentality, but you are entitled to it. VGQ, black brother. Any hoodles, uh, you all can let me know if you got constructive information from this very early broadcast. I try to let people know uh, Saturday. Yes. Compensatory call in that we were going to be on uh, super early today. Um, Back to normal broadcast time as we move forward in the week. Uh, I do not like listening to the archive when I am unwell. So this will not be one that I will be racing to go back and hear the replay. Uh, for errors or what have you uh, so you all can let me know uh, if you thought it was constructive, you learned anything beneficial about South Africa uh, incidentally, man that, that I was pretty much I was ready to wrap up, nap time man when I asked her about Dr. Linda Alcoff now I am not my best today not feeling well that is not an excuse make sure white people answer your question, especially if you're asking something pertinent. What is my bank balance? Have I been approved for a 10% raise? Make sure they answer your question. I asked about Dr. Nikki Falkoff. All those names. It was Linda, uh, Alcoff and then Nikki Falkoff wacky and then they cite each other and then we had them in wacky (sighs) Dr. Nikki Falkoff South Africa although we spoke to her while she was in Mexico I asked do you think really for both of them do you think she's white particularly the first one with Dr. Linda Alcoff who she saw in New York she did not answer the question 
which is suspicious in and of itself because people see folks all day long. I mean, that's, I have to. She said you have to do it for forms, go to the bank. The same thing for here in the States as well. You have to do, you know, racial classifications all the time. Very important. Are you talking to a white person? Non-white. They have police descriptions and go out. Negro male raped a white woman. Six feet tall. You know, you have to understand all that. This is not rocket science. This is basics of living on a planet dominated by white supremacy racism. That's not, you know, asking for your bank code or anything else. That's not asking for your social security number. I don't know what that is in South Africa, your, you know, driver's license number or anything else like that. Dang. Were you talking to a white person? She didn't answer my question. She asked me, oh, man. Almost got old Gussie on that one. Now, I will say it being early. Me being sick didn't help, but it being early, for sure, because that messed up my sleep schedule and me being sick. So, you know, not my best, but still. Jiminy Crickets, like, come on. Get the rambling and, well, I think Dr. Al, whoa, 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 whoa. You didn't even answer my question. They are so good at that. Talk, not answer your question, and then ask you, like, eh, eh, eh. and particularly for you study racism. You get to travel the world. You came all the way over here to New York. You are white. White people can't be ignorant about being classified as white. That should be an easy one. Were you listening to a white person? Yep. Really be mindful uh, about that. I said we had, we did interrogate this with Dr. Alcoff racist suspect we talked about that in detail that's why her father from Panama we went into all that detail Uh, with Dr. Falkoff we did not get that privilege Uh, there was so much to cover and all the rest of it she was uh, hopping in to say that non-white people can practice racism so it was a bit more challenging but we got through it didn't get time to interrogate that again folks can look at her picture and see what they think if she'd be classified as white or even just if you'd be surprised like wow she does look a little darker than I would think for someone classified as white but again tans and lighting all that good stuff anyway much obliged uh, hopefully folks got constructive information uh, let me know drop an email until justice at gmail.com my apologies for being a little nasally uh, hopefully it will not uh, detract from the constructive info if there was anything to be learned and I did learn something Anywho, uh, and South Africa is always a great reminder for people who talk as though the anxiety that many white people articulate about the perceived dwindling percentage of whites in the U.S. South Africa is a great reminder. Apparently their percentage is still going down and they are still in charge. 7%. I think it's still well over 50% white here. So, I mean, they would have a long way to go to get to South Africa numbers and they still dominate over there. So that is a great one to keep in mind. Even in fact, if you have lots of Obamas and Clarence Thomas, Katanji Brown Jackson, they can fill up all the courts and offices just like it looks in South Africa and still have a system of white supremacy racism. Any hoodles, uh, sobriety would be best under conditions of white supremacy. Global, known universe. We need high-functioning brain computers to get this problem solved. ASAP. 
Creator, we ask that you help us remain patient with other black people, victims of white supremacy. We ask that you help us remain patient with ourselves. Remind us to demonstrate the highest levels of black self-respect at all times, in all places, each and every time we are in contact with another black person. It has been time replace white supremacy with justice immediately. Cal signing out. Thanks all for tuning in. Nigga, you so brainwashed. I'm a victim, What's brother. Your problem? You're a victim. Right. I'm a up. victim of 400 years of conditioning. Shut up. The man has programmed my conditioning. Mm-hmm. Even my conditioning has been conditioned. <laughs> lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.